You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. Welcome back to Live Wild Radio. So, for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, because we do have a couple of listeners that are in the Southern Hemisphere, so they're experiencing summer right now, but uh, we're releasing this on January 15th. And up here at North, that means winter. And winter means winter camping. So I'm Winston. I'm Catherine. And uh, we're going to be talking about winter camping today. Yeah. So Winston, what do you prefer better? Summer or winter camping? Uh, I like them all. Yeah. They, they each have, summer's kind of free. You can eat miles. Um, actually, quite honestly, I hate summer. Because um, you're too hot. I sweat my balls <laughs> off. Um <laughs> Uh, but I like, you know, spring and fall, mm-hmm. um, as long as it's not like all sloppy, you know, melty spring. Yeah. Um, and, and I enjoy winter. Okay. Like it's a different challenge. Yeah. Um, winter is one of those things where first you're in an environment that can kill you, mm-hmm. but if you do it properly, you're comfy, mm-hmm. you know, or passably so. Yeah. Um, so there, there's something nice or nice isn't the right word, um, something satisfying about being in an environment that can kill you. Like if you were out there naked, you got three hours, right? The rule of threes. Yeah. Um, but you can, you know, go for a multi-day trip, cover some, you know, miles, explore, have an adventure, mm-hmm. um, and sleep pretty comfortably, right? And and it's just a different environment. Like when everything's snow covered. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it tends to be quieter, right? Like the, the streams are frozen, so you're not yeah. getting the bubbling brooks. Yeah. The birds are gone for the most part. Uh, you know, and sound actually absorbs a lot of, or not sound, but snow absorbs a lot of sound. And, and that tends to, to make for really this kind of like quiet, kind of contemplative mood. So, you know, I'll ask you, which do you prefer? Oh, man, that's hard. I probably prefer the fall, but I'll tell you what I like about the winter. If you're looking, I think you can have your ultimate adventure in the winter for some of the reasons that you talked about. It's extreme. You're not used to it. Yeah. It gives you bragging rights when you go back to <laughs> It does. It does. Totally. And you can take some really cool uh, National Geographic photos where your eyelashes are all white and your nose is look, looks like it's going to fall off <laughs> i've got a co- one of those from our minus 40 degree uh temperature that was uh something special but i remember my very first time as we went to queen elizabeth wildlands you were teaching a course and we snowshoed i thought it was really great how you could go up steep embankments where in the summer you know you really have to they're quite technical and with snowshoes you just walk right up yeah um i thought that was neat going over uh rivers lakes Sketchy at times. I remember that one time it was a lot of snow and ice and then it started to thaw. Well, it's because it, it, basically where you get close to where the beaver dams are, right. there's flowing water so it doesn't freeze. Right. Um, so you give a wide berth around those, right? Or, or do you mean coming back when it was just everything on top was It was everything slushy? on top. It yeah, was, it was when we slushy. saw the ATVs. The only thing that gave me assurance to cross this river is the fact that there were ATVs it was a lake, but... crossing the lake as well. So I knew if it could hold the ATVs, could probably hold us closer to the shore. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that you would sink. 
Yeah, well, and water would come up. It was weird. That yeah, that was sketchy. Yeah, well, it's I'm just it just had to do with the fact that the, all the snow on top mm-hmm. because it had gotten a little bit warmer. It was melting. Um, so you had slush on top of ice. Yeah, but the was, ice was a foot thick, so it was still weird. Yeah, I was surprised at how well you could stay warm, even in those severe minus twenty five degree temperatures, minus thirty. As long as you were moving, mm-hmm. the hardest part's getting out of the car. Yep. Because you want to start off cold and we'll get into all those little tips. But once you get moving, you're unzipping your coat. Yeah. And you're fine. And you don't even have to like do be doing jumping jacks to keep warm. That's what I was afraid of is that I had to be like high intensity. No, nope, just get moving. No, just keep moving and you'll stay and you can cruise at that. Yeah. That was cool. I, I like the fact that I could eat as much chocolate and fat as I wanted to. You actually have to. <laughs> you do. Yeah, that was really neat. But it is beautiful. There's no bears to worry about. Nope. You don't need to hang um, no your bugs. food. You don't have to hang your food. Although you're always constantly worried about your water freezing at times if you're... Um, you're drinking water? Yeah. Yeah, but there's... there's We'll get into ways to deal right. with that. Right. Yeah. But that was, you know, having been inexperienced and then trying it for the first time, I I can certainly tell you what not to do. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, if you're, you're, if you're looking to do this, number one, we expect... We recommend, highly recommend, you must be a three-season camper to begin with. You must yeah, have like, done the fall and have experienced colder temperatures. And by the fall, we mean where the temperatures get down to zero. Yeah. Would you say? Um, yeah, or like at least low single digits. Yeah. Because with all the stuff we're going to talk about winter camping, it's like you don't start winter camping, mm-hmm. right? First, you're maybe a summer camper. Then you're a three-season camper. Then you can become a winter camper. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I recommend that way. And it's perfectly fine to be a three-season camper from the standpoint of spring, fall, and uh, uh, winter. Mm-hmm. But you need the spring and fall first. So we're going at this with the idea that you already camp, you know, with the with sort of some of the tips we're getting at. Yeah, yeah. So what gear do you think people could continue to use? Like, let's start with a tent because everybody says, well, do I need to get a winter tent? So to start with, no, you can use your three-season tent. One of the things, though, I would get is like a, like a siliconized nylon tarp. Here's here's the advantage of a winter tent. They're kind of beefier uh, so <laughs> that like the poles are thicker. Um, they don't have just bug netting inside. So they generally tend to be a little warmer. Um, but they're beefier to stand high winds and heavy snow loads, right? So the fabric is heavier. The poles are thicker. There's more poles. Those occasional awesome times where you get like a foot of snow overnight. Well, picture that all on the, on your tent. If you have right. a, if you have a light three season tent, that's just going to crush your tent. Whereas a, a, a you know winter or they call them four season tents, but you'd never use it in anything other than the winter. You know, or a mountaineering tent. Mm-hmm. And they're heavier. Yeah, they're heavier. They're like, tougher. What's the average weight? Um, like a two person's like eight pounds. Wow. Yeah. So from a five to eight pounds. Or no, really? Like if you're talking, like your your tent weighs two or three and a half. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> your two person tent. Yeah, it's substantially different, and I would say um, now to begin with, we always recommend you start in your backyard and then car camping before you go backcountry. But just keep in mind, your gear is going to be heavier because you're going to be taking extra things to be warm. Your tent, snowshoes. We'll oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but so so you can use your three season tent. Um, it's just if you do expect heavy snow, like a, a, a solid snowfall, I would position your tent 
uh, and you wouldn't tend to do sort of your normal out in the open. Um, you know, where you choose a campsite tends to be a little bit different too. And I'd string a line between a couple of trees and have a tarp, like an A-frame, right over the tent, like a f- couple of feet higher. So any snow uh, hitting the tarp then Slides falls off. off and doesn't build up on top of your tent, mm-hmm. right? So it's a way that you can make your three-season tent partway passable for the wintertime. And what size of a tarp would you get? Um, like an 8 by 10 Okay. You know, that that would be enough for like a three-person tent, mm-hmm. right? Um and something to keep in mind, too, if you do have that super heavy snowfall where the snow is building up, you want to make sure periodically uh, to get out and shovel around your tent because it can actually, the snow can build up so much that the airflow that would normally come in the bottom of your tent that's under right. the fly mm-hmm. completely gets blocked off. Right. And that's the last thing you want because your your body builds up moisture and yeah. perspiration and that all builds up in your tent. Yeah. And you, even if you've got like the vents up high in your tent... It works by cooler air coming in the bottom and the warm air from you rising and going out the top vents, taking the moisture out with you. If you've cut off the airflow from the bottom, it's not like you're going to like suffocate, but that convective current that gets the moisture out of your tent stops it working. So that that's just always one of those little things. But so you can use your three-season tent. And if it's, if it's not going to snow or it snows lightly and you're not dealing with heavy winds like you would on the side of a mountain... Um, you know, it, it won't be quite as warm as a winter tent uh, because, you know, the double-walled fabric, you know, tends to retain a little more heat, but but it'll be fine. Um, so just as an aside about heat and moisture, that one time we stayed in um, our friend Brooks's expensive winter tent yeah. versus the time we stayed the next day in a lean-to. So lean-to has three-sided walls, so it's open and exposed. I found myself warmer in the lean-to the next day. And that might have just, might have been... Well, we were in the lean-to the first night. Whatever. But it was from one night to the next. Yeah. And obviously in the lean-to, you've got perfect ventilation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but I did know, notice it was quite uh, humid in the tent a little bit. Yeah. And that, that, that particular tent doesn't have the same ventilation as some. And you get three people in. Bo- moisture from your body, damp yeah. breath yeah um totally and then it hits the cold surface of the tent and you end up with a frost buildup basically managing moisture is a big deal in the winter to keeping warm and well keeping and, dry. and it is basically both personally within your shelter staying dry is one of the big parts of staying warm um so you know you you run into the thing of wanting to constantly you know monitor so that you're staying dry you're not getting all sweaty yeah because Um, at the end of the day you're not going home after a sweaty hike or hanging outside working hard people tend to dress really warmly they don't realize that they're even sweating mm -hmm. the problem is that you're staying outdoors you're going to cool down and you're going to find yourself getting cold so that's really important but going back to the tent you've got Mm -hmm. your tent figured out you can use a three season tent and just get a tarp to Um, ward away the snow but let's talk about maybe the uh the insulation in your your mattress. Yeah. So so if you've already got a say an insulated air mattress, um, a, most of the time the ones you'd get for three season use aren't warm enough on their own for winter. But if you could take and then take along a foam pad, put it down first and put your inflatable on top of it, mm-hmm. then that will go a long way because insulation's additive, right? right? Um, so if we if we use Thermarest products, let's say you've got uh, the Pro light, you know, 
self-inflated sleeping pad. I think the R value on it's like three. And then if you get the X light, not X light, Z light fold up foam pad, that's got an R value of 2.6. Mm-hmm. So now you've got an R value of 5.6. Well, you could put that on a frozen lake and not feel anything. Yeah. And I can say um, women run colder than men. And so for me, that works perfectly. That's yeah. what I use. You know, I, I just use a Thermarest, like winter rated air mattress, mm-hmm. um, insulated air mattress. The only thing you run into and the, where the foam pad would be recommended, even if you're pad is warm enough okay if for some reason you spring a leak in your air mattress and it collapses down if you've got the foam pad get it back up then you still got something yeah that's happened to me yeah that sucks yeah <laughs> um man you know so the that that's where uh, having a little bit of redundancy yeah. and a little bit of extra warmth um isn't a bad thing but yeah like because you can get one of those pads for like 45 or 50 bucks canadian so it'll be much less american yeah um you know, so you can add that to your regular sleeping pad and that will get you enough insulation from the ground. And then if you take and get like, it, let's say your sleeping bag is, you know, a three season bag that's rated to minus seven. If you add a Cedar Summit extreme, I forget what to, what it's called, but it, on paper, they say that it adds 18 Celsius to the warmth of your sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. It's a sleeping bag liner. You put that inside your sleeping bag. So instead of buying an expensive winter bag that you're not going to use that often, putting a liner in then will dramatically increase the warmth of your sleeping bag. So if somebody's first starting their winter camping trip, what's yeah. the coldest would you recommend they don't go past? Well, as a starting point, I would put it at like overnight, like minus 15 or minus 20. Really? To start? Um like, uh, we're assuming people have already camped down around zero. Okay. Right. Um, so, if you add your insulation with your pad, yeah, you add a sleeping bag liner, uh, it still gives you some buffer zone if you're, if you're minus 15 or minus 20. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what we're talking, the overnight low. And this is where you definitely want to go with somebody else so you can smoosh up to them because... <laughs> that, that makes a big difference. That actually does make a big difference. So, keep that in mind. But first note... Do not go out on a car camping trip and do this. Try this out in your backyard. Make yeah. sure everything's working right. Or, or, you know, and let's say you live in an apartment so you can't um, go in your backyard. Then try it at a, you know, like a car camping campground that's open in the winter. See if you can find a campsite that's sheltered, right? Because if you get those campsites that are out in the middle of a field, nothing's protecting you from the wind. <laughs> um, then always have a backup plan. Right when you're trying this stuff out, because that's why the backyard's awesome. And maybe maybe you got a friend with a backyard, or you know, hey, can I camp in your backyard for one night? Um, you know, <laughs> or your mom or dad, or you know, whatever. Um, yeah, they can just lean back uh, in their lazy boy, pop their beer, <laughs> and watch, <laughs> watch, you watch you figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's entertainment. But that but that's the thing. It's like getting a lot of these things sorted out before you actually go out. Yeah, you know, definitely. How do you sleep in the cold? Yeah, right. Um, you know, how are you at getting up and peeing in the middle of the night? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of these are going to make a difference as far as, you know, how successful your first like actual, you know, winter camping trip is. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first time we were at Queen Elizabeth Wildlands and I woke up in the middle of the night cause my air mattress kept bleeding air. Yeah. 
and I was cold and I started shivering and I'm like, what do I do? And so I remember calmly talking to you about it. I'm like, I don't think it was just my air mattress. I, we realized that was a problem because we had blown it up. I had woken up once in the middle of the night already and it happened again. I'm like, shit, this is not good. And um, I don't think I had enough food. I was getting cold. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was almost getting hypothermic. I was worried, but it wasn't that cold. It was like, what, minus 10? Yeah. And so I grabbed more food because food is really important when you're trying to keep warm. It's not, keep- it's not just hunger anymore. It's your, your body is constantly working hard to keep you warm. Uh, I remember when we were out in minus 40 degree temperatures, I was shivering. And the next day, um, I, my body was sore. And I attribute it to the fact that I had to constantly be shivering and tensing my muscles too. And which is a great way mm-hmm. to get warm real quick if you ever yep. need to do so. But food, it was it was kind of scary. Do you remember that? Yeah. Was it just that my air mattress was deflating? Well, there, there was I that. Was, yeah. Because we had your foam pad under it. Yeah. Um, but then we ran into the thing too. You didn't eat enough. Right. Right. So you were like, oh, what should I do? And it's like, okay, well, uh, basically get a jacket on, right? You know, or play with some layers. Yeah. Uh, oh, take off a layer. You Because well, you, you were wearing super tight pants, which were yeah. strict circulation. Yeah, that was interesting. You were wearing like your your like base layer and your ski pants. Well, your cross-country ski pants, which are really like... Were really tight. Yeah. Yeah. Which you wouldn't expect that because you're warm with them but what, but but you're warm and you're moving and the moving allows the blood flow when you're not moving the super tight restricts blood flow yeah yeah uh, and that made a world of difference it was like a heat yeah because now your blood was actually getting to your legs um that was but so counterintuitive the, but the food is the big one like basically warm drinks more calories mm-hmm. um you know moving around you know even within your sleeping bag like do some crunches, flex everything in your body, I flex and relax, yeah. flex and relax, that flex. Some, yeah, yeah, right. Because y- y- when your body's working, when the muscles are contracting, it takes energy, and because the human body is only about twenty five percent efficient, the rest is given off as heat, right? So basically, seventy five percent of your effort is given off as heat. So if you do a little bit of effort, you get a lot of heat, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's. You know, one of the things that that sort of comes back to one of my golden rules of winter camping, which is you have three states of being. You're either moving, you're in your sleeping bag, or you're by the fire, right? If you're doing anything other than those three, you're going to get cold, right? Because if you're sort of sitting around, but you don't either have the, um, you know, so that you're not moving... But you don't have the either extra insulation of your sleeping system or the extra heat of a fire, you're going to get cold, right? Because most people don't have enough clothes. Like I suppose if you had one of those Everest, you know, Michelin man down suits on, (laughs) you could sit around. Yeah. Uh, But nobody's bringing those on a normal winter camping trip. Yeah. uh, Unless you want to sleep in one. Um, be, Be kind of the warmest PJs you'll ever find. Uh, Sounds tempting. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it's just more stuff you have to carry. One thing that I've done that's really helped is I, I found at the uh, thrift store a wool skirt. Because I have a cold bum. Yeah. I have poor circulation, I guess. I don't know. I'm always cold. So I wear that. It makes a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you don't get like 
your feet aren't cold. Your butt will be cold. And my, hands are, are, and my hands are cold. And, but your feet are fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so, and, and that's the thing. I find, like, I, I can handle it, but, like, I'll get cold. Like, I've got to have really bundled up hands. You know, big puffy mitts not to have cold hands when we're out. Now, they're mm-hmm. not, it doesn't affect my dexterity. It's not that cold. Yeah. But um, they'll be a little chilly. Whereas the rest of me, like, I can I can be sweating, you know, like or working hard not to sweat, right? But still have a little chilly hands, mm-hmm. you know? So everybody needs to sort of figure out totally how their body works in the cold. Yeah. You know, because uh, most of the time I don't get cold feet, but I hate having a cold face because your face is what's always exposed. Right. Right. Um, so sometimes it's figuring out those things just to protect a little bit when it's windy. Yeah, actually, that's really interesting because at nighttime, um, it can be tricky. And so what I usually do is I have like a buff. Like I have my hat and I've got my hoodie from my puffy jacket on mm-hmm. in my sleeping bag. But then I take my my buff warmer, like that that neck warmer. Yeah. I put that on top of my eyes, like mm-hmm. my face down to my nose yeah. so that all my nose and everything's all warm. So the only thing that's exposed are my nostrils so I can breathe. And yeah, in your mouth. Because sometimes I'll breathe right into something and you wake up in the morning with all these icicles. And you're soaked. Yeah. Right. So you never want to have anything over your face. You never want to have your face in your sleeping bag. No. Uh, because the moisture... Basically gets trapped and condenses into liquid. Yeah. And then, you know, it's one thing if, okay, and you're just packing up in the morning and leaving, like you're only doing an overnighter. But, you know, you run into the thing where every night you're out, even just the moisture that that emits from your body, you'll get a bit of frost buildup in your sleeping bag. So anything you can do to minimize the amount of moisture buildup in your insulation Mm -hmm. um, will help allow you each day like the next day, still be warm enough. So I remember because on our backpacking, our camping trips, we weren't car camping. We were backcountry camping, yeah. right? One thing that really helped me was back at home was to go hiking on a weekend, weeknight, whatever, with my clothes that I thought I'd go backcountry with. Mm-hmm. And then I check my moisture yeah. when I'm done. I'm like, okay, how am I? I'm like, yeah, this is good. I'm dry. You, yeah. know, you should be dry because your body heat will dry off your sweat if you have the right amount on. Yeah. If you have too much on, you'll get sweaty. And I remember my jacket. I had a jacket that wasn't um, very breathable. It was an outdoor research. Yeah. But it didn't have the armpits, right, and the ventilation. Um, so you got to watch that, too. You want to make sure you have a jacket that works for you. Because that, that really sucks when it just, can, you know, collects all the, the moisture and, and all well, that. Well, if you think about how you, you dress, right, base layer against the skin, like long sleeve top and bottom. Tight. Um then uh, insulating layers above that. And usually below the waist, I'll just do like a soft shell pant, um, you know, waterproof knees and butt, but breathable everywhere else just so uh, like I'm not going to wear Gore-Tex pants because I'll just get clammy in them. Yeah. Um, And then on the upper body, I'll only ever wear like a waterproof breathable shell like Mm Gore-Tex if it's snowing. Just to keep myself dry. That's right. I've the, had that. Yeah. The rest of the time, I'll wear like a light windbreaker layer yeah. to cut the wind. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that it breathes. Like it's not waterproof. So it's enough to cut the wind, but any moisture coming off me can breathe out of it. 
That's a good point because when you're working and you're going up a mountain snowshoeing, yeah, you're hot. Yeah. Right. So if and I remember we had a lot of snow fall on us because they're on the trees and it's snowing and then you get wet and yeah. that really sucks. And you want to make sure you cover your hat head too because if you're sweaty and everything gets, gets wet, you have frost head. Well, yeah, like especially head. you know unless you're somebody who shaves their head, if your hat or your your head gets snow all over it now your hair soaked yeah right that it sucks. takes a while to dry and then you end up with icicles freezing in your hair yeah um so it really uh, a case of base layer insulating layers and then a, a wind breaking shell mm-hmm. and only use the waterproof uh outer shell yeah if it's snowing and then what we do is we keep a puffy jacket in our backpack so that when we do stop and by the way our stops are not that long <laughs> yeah because you want to keep moving um but for a quick snack or whatever you put it on your base jacket your puffy jacket so you don't get cold yeah. right and it's nice and dry you put it on and you put and then you pack it away because otherwise to wear it you'd be uh too hot so you, you gotta remember you really gotta start off cold yeah if you feel cold it's the right temperature yeah because then there's nothing worse that you've got your backpack on and you're through hiking or your backpack country hiking and all of a sudden you get to stop 20 minutes later take everything off you know what i mean it just really slows things down and start off cold you'll be thankful later yeah because if you start off cold usually like five ten minutes in you're comfortable Mm -hmm. you know in my case even then i'm usually venting a little bit yeah right but now it's just unzipping my vest or my wind shell yeah because you're literally wearing your base letter and your shell and that's it yeah Um, yeah where i wear my tight uh base layer it's like a neck it's a turtleneck with my shell and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And and basically And that's one, in minus 20 degree weather. Yeah, once by the you're way. moving. Yeah. Um, so you're cold. The coldest part is the transition of getting everything ready. Yeah, getting out of the car and getting everything on. It takes a long time. You know. Uh, there's always, cold. you know, it's pulling your, okay, I got my pack and then my snowshoes. And, and then you try and warm up, warm up your hands. You know, getting getting your trekking poles to the right length. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all that kind of dicking around. Then you're f- chilly. You're cold. Yeah. Right, and you want to put on a parka, yeah. Um, but then that's where once you got everything on, then get going. Yeah. So, how much more weight do you pack backpacking that country because of your all your winter gear? How um, much more weight is that? About ten pounds? Probably about ten pounds more. Yeah, cause because we, yeah, you've got your snowshoes. Yeah. You want to take your micro spikes, right? Because you might be going up some icy rock that snowshoes doesn't cut it. Um, and then your thicker crampons, you might. Well, that's only really, those are only going to be needed in the mountains. Right. If you're doing that, um, you know, you've got your gaiters. Great. Yeah. Right. To keep all your shins dry if it's deep snow and they, or they clip into your boot. Yeah. So you've got that. I usually bring, um, waterproof pants just in case I'm going to go bum sliding down the hill, the mountain, because I don't want to do that my ski pants because they, they are, they, they're not waterproof. Um, then you've got my shell jacket, right? That's another pound and a half, whatever. So what else is there? So shovel. Because when you're preparing a campsite, it's, you know, you got three feet of snow on it. You don't set up on top of the snow. You need to dig down to the ground. Right. Um, and clear out. Great way to keep warm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually not that a lot of work either. And so we a collapsible avalanche shovel, like a black diamond. They're super, they're small. They can strap it to the outside of your pack. But they're easy to use. But you need some sort of shovel for the wintertime. In a pinch, you could always like shovel stuff out with your snowshoes if you had to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of sucks. Uh, Especially if you're 
deep snow and yeah. you're taking your snowshoes off. You know, and the ergonomics of it, right? Like they don't yeah. have a handle. So yeah. um, then generally you're uh, got an extra sleeping pad or a beefier sleeping pad, your sleeping bag liner, the tarp to put over your tent, mm-hmm. right? All of these pieces just add up. Plus your backup clothes will usually be more. Yeah, food. More food than you probably would take. Actually, when you think of those mountain house yeah. dehydrated meals, in the summertime, I only eat a half. Yeah, in the winter, you eat the I whole eat thing. a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I could eat more. Yeah. That's how hungry you are. You don't realize it, but your body's just... It's churning through that food. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's basically what you're looking at. Is, you know, generally in the ballpark, about 10 pounds more. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got a really light backpack for the summertime, you might need a beefier backpack. Um, I, as a woman, I would also say that you'd probably want some snow pants for nighttime, hanging around the campfire. Like I, I, I really run cold, mm-hmm. right? So I've done that and I've been happy I did. I even brought my long puffy jacket yeah. to cover my butt because at the time I didn't have anything warm, just to keep warm, just because I really, really struggle with that. As far as gloves go, Mm. And and your hat or toque, as our Canadian, us Canadians say. I was going to say our Canadian friends, but I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> you'll run into the thing where, where you want to bring an extra of those because they your hands and your head can get a little damp. Yeah. So you want to have like a fresh dry one to put on. Yeah. And you can actually dry that in your sleeping bag if they're slightly damp. Yeah. Just put it because, in the foot of your sleeping bag. Yeah. Your, your body heat will dry it out. Yeah. You'd be surprised. So what I uh, often like to are those... Um, those face masks. Oh, like the balaclavas? Yeah, they work. You know, or you can get they the neop- well. neoprene face masks. That, that one. That's what I have. I yeah, have I think I gave you one of those because it. Yeah. the Velcro wasn't enough to fit around my fat head. <laughs> yeah, I, I use that. That works out quite well. Yeah. Because that whole thing at nighttime of your nose, my nose runs, by the way. I've noticed that. I, I have to get you to have Benadryl in the winter because my nose is like a tap. Well, everybody says. My more so. And and then I get a lot of irritation around my nose. So that's very annoying for me. I remember I had that problem. Mm, Yeah. My my nose is constantly dripping in the cold. So at least with the neoprene face mask, it's not on my face. It's just on the outside of my mask. Yeah. Your snots. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and because there's kind of two types of winter. um, And there's really more, but but I'm Mm going to break it into two. There's the, it's below zero you know, whatever temperature it happens to be, you know, we'll call it, for lack of a better way, for sake of argument, we'll call it minus 10. And, but it's relatively calm out. And then there's winter with blowing snow, wind, and regardless of whatever the temperature is, it feels like the the temperature, you know, or the cold is cutting right through you, mm-hmm. right? Totally different experience. You know, when I'm when I'm chugging along, uh, with that kind of minus 10, minus 15, but kind of calm conditions. Yeah. Staying warm is easy. Whereas when you're getting those wind conditions, that's where um, having all of your skin covered really comes in because any bit of skin exposed just freezes. It doesn't have to even be something big, you know, or thick. Um, but you know, I'll have, make sure that I've got like at least a beanie toque on. Um, I wear glasses, so they'll tend to protect my eyes. We can also wear ski goggles because just freezing wind blowing in your eyes, uh, 
you know, makes it feels like your eyeballs are going to freeze. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure your hands are covered. Uh, and then any skin that is exposed, put a thin layer of Vaseline on it. And that will actually act to cut the wind. Oh, really? Yeah, really, really effective. And it keeps the skin from getting chapped and, and wind burned. As you talk about chapped and wind burned, moisture, um, retaining moisture as in fluids, mm-hmm. that really surprised me. You know, oh. how dehydrated I got in the winter. Yeah. Who knew? I remember coming down that mountain. I ran out of water. I was eating the snow because I was so thirsty. Right. But you wouldn't think that, but it's true. You need to be really cautious of that. Now, what about electrolytes if you're sweating so much? Yeah. Well, you in the winter, you actually lose less of your, your moisture from sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still sweat if you're not good at managing it, but more of it's actually lost through respiration, breathing. Uh, really? Uh, because of the temperature difference, right? Like you see those big clouds of, you yeah. know, as you breathe out. Yeah. Um, that's moisture, mm-hmm. right? And so you, and because of the cold, you actually lose more moisture from breathing, Gotcha. Um, and then when you breathe in cold air, your body has to heat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally, then you end up exhaling more moisture. So uh, staying hydrated in the cold um, is, is super important. Because, and the other thing is, is you don't feel thirsty until you, don't. You, until you really do. That's right. Um, and the big thing with that is electrolytes, never a bad thing. Right. Um, but... It's not as bad or as necessary as it okay. is in the summer, because in the summer, um, most of your moisture loss is from sweat, and you're actually sweating out electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Whereas, when you're losing a lot of the moisture through breathing, you're not breathing out electrolytes. So, how much water do you want to drink in a day? Um, depends on your activity level, the size of your person, but generally, uh, you know, you're you're going to be looking three to four liters. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, uh, then this again is one of those things you want to experiment with. Yeah. Right. When you pee, you want it to be straw colored. If it's the color of like, you know, yellow, uh, paint, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, you're, you're not hydrated enough. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're peeing every five minutes, you're probably too hydrated. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's figuring out, uh, and, and even as far as hydration goes, like, yeah. When you first start drinking a lot of water regularly, uh, you pee a lot more, but then your body gets used to the amount of uh, fluid you have coming in regularly and will start to use it more effectively, mm-hmm. you know, um, because, and it also, there's a bunch of things like whether, how much carbohydrate you have in your diet because carbs are stored in the muscles with water. That's right. Um, so... If you're, I don't know the data on this, but just in in my head, <laughs> you know, sort of uh, at least common sense would tell me if somebody's on a really low carb or a ketogenic diet. Well, it's not good. They could probably get dehydrated easier. Yeah. Because their body's not retaining as much moisture. Yeah. Right? So you don't have, agree. as you burn those carbs, that moisture's freed up for your body to use. Right? And if it needs it for, you know, bodily processes, it's there. Um, if you didn't have it to begin with because you don't have a lot of carbs stored in your muscles, mm-hmm. you might get dehydrated easier. You know, don't quote me. This is just sort of an idea I just had on the spot. So, you know, uh, I'm not saying the science is there, but when this episode's over, I'm going to do some research and I might put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes to filtering water... Most of the time in the winter, unless you can find an open water source, 
um, like a, a stream that hasn't completely frozen over or um, because say like if, if it's real winter, we're not talking the beginning, lakes aren't accessible because you don't want to get out near the thin edge of uh, a frozen lake mm-hmm. to try to dip a pot in to get some water. Um, so generally you're melting snow. Um, and, uh, you know, you're going to do that either on the fire or on your stove. And the, the thing you'll run into is you never want to just put snow because snow is actually mostly air. <laughs> um, you don't want to put that in your pot on the stove because you'll scorch your pot and your water will tell taste like burnt popcorn. Um, so if you put a little bit of water, liquid water in the bottom of your pot and then start heating it up and then start scooping your snow in, um, you're just not going to scorch the pot. So how much water should you come in to a backcountry campsite with? Um, if you got a, well, it depends how long you're going to trek in. Sure. Um, Say overnight. No, no, but how far are you hiking that day? Okay. Right. Um, because it's kind of a pain to stop and process water, like mm-hmm. melt snow. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, whatever I need for the day is what I want to bring with me. Um, so let's say we're going to, you know, hike six or seven kilometers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably bring three liters of water, uh, most of it to drink on the way in. Um, and then I'll have that little, you know, I'll have a bit of liquid water left over uh, to be able to, you know, start the process of melting and boiling, melting snow and then boiling the water for a minute to disinfect it. Okay. Um, Because you don't obviously know what kind of uh, bacteria there might be in the snow. Mm -hmm. So you want to bring it to a a rolling boil and kill it. Mm -hmm. Um, Makes it safe to drink. Yeah. And so now, Gene Bottles, you can um, then put your boiling water in that. Yep. Those are the safe ones. Yeah. And Um, then if you're using Nalgene Bottles, um, which are sort of like standard camp bottles, uh, Outdoor Research makes bottle koozies uh, that are insulated bottle holders that have like these Velcro straps. So you can strap it onto either the shoulder straps of your backpack or the waist belt of your backpack. Nice. So they're really, it's really convenient to use. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to leave them overnight or sitting anywhere, put them upside down. You want the, cause the water will freeze From where the there's top air. Down. Yeah. So you want to make sure that at the lid, right. When you flip it over in the morning, you've got water there. Yeah. What's what I, what I do is I stuff it in a snowbank. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it does freeze, it only freezes at the top, which when you flip it over is then the bottom. So then the, the rest of the water is still liquid. Right. Um, and one of the little tricks too, uh, is when you've brought water to a boil to disinfect it, fill up your Nalgene bottle, um, make sure the lid is on properly. Make sure that there's been no ice buildup or anything so the threads don't engage mm. so that it's sealed. Mm-hmm. You know, tip it upside down and shake it a bit just to make sure that mm-hmm. there's no leakage. Mm-hmm. Um, put it in a, in a wool sock and then throw it in your sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. And that'll stay um, liquid all night and keep you warm. Yeah, because then when you get in your sleeping bag, you don't have to warm it up. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's toasty already. Yeah. And then you just kick the bottle to the foot of your sleeping bag and then your body heat will keep it from freezing because it's insulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you wake up in the morning, you have liquid water for making your coffee and making your breakfast and getting the next batch of water started. That's right. So that that that's one of those little tricks that, that makes 
getting in a sleeping bag, <laughs> joyous. Yeah. Right? Because you're, you're that little last minute stuff before bed, you're getting a little bit chilly. Yeah. Um, and you get in and your bed's like warm. Right? Because your sleeping bag would eventually warm up from your body heat. But it takes time. There's such a transition. Yeah. Whereas you get in, it's like it's like somebody had an electric blanket in there already. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to keep um, warm are snacks. Like say if you have like Cliff Bars or chocolate bars, like if you're going to bring those along, uh, make sure you have them on your person. Because when you're out there hiking all day, if you have them in your backpack, they might freeze. Yeah. Or if you leave them outside. Like anything that you want to have even the next morning, would you even keep one in your pocket? Well, in your pocket or in your sleeping bag. Yeah. Um, I know. I think I asked this question because people wonder about animals in the winter. Yeah. Well, remember the bears are hibernating. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've got stuff in your sleeping bag with you, yeah. it's one thing to, to have, uh, say, the pockets of your, uh, you might get mice going after you know, like the mesh pockets in your tent, if you right. put some wrappers or something in there. Yeah. But first, if it's something that's sealed, yeah, um, they're they're probably not going to smell it. Yeah. Um, and then if you keep it warm, because it's it's close to you, mm-hmm. uh, then it's edible. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not going to freeze solid because uh, like a frozen Cliff Bar, you'll break your teeth on. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more useful to have that as you're hiking throughout the day and yep. as you're doing stuff, just keep it on you. Yeah, you're ready to the, eat the other thing. So basically inside of my vest or inside of my, my jacket pockets mm-hmm. close to me, I'll keep some snacks. Um, and that's where like, I actually like things like uh trail mix because mm-hmm. nuts don't seem to get super hard in the cold. Um, you know, dried fruit can a little bit, but, and, and M&Ms, uh, but they don't get, break your teeth cliff bar hard right um but the bag of of trail mix that i'm eating i'll keep in the inside of my jacket Mm -hmm. and that just keeps it manageable yeah um and the same thing with any electronics you have right the cold will destroy well they don't not destroy but but suck the power out of batteries or make them not efficient you know, I always equate it to the cold makes the electrons slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is really important when you're back country and you want to have that backup plan, right? Know it for both uh, communicating with people, but where navigation. you are. Navigation, when you have to get going the next day. And um, yeah. The headlamp. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very important. So normally, most of the year, I'd keep my headlamp in the top pocket of my backpack. But in the wintertime, I keep it in the inside pocket of my jacket. Yeah. Right? Because... When you've got it all on, it's getting heat from your head right. to keep the batteries from, you know, yeah. uh, running abnormally low. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with, uh, you know, just non-using it, keeping it close to you, um, you, you retain more charge to the batteries. Mm-hmm. Same thing with your, like if you have a cell phone, uh, GPS unit, um, a satellite communicator like a spot or an inReach. Yeah. All those devices, keep them close to you. And yeah. then your battery life will work better. So, and don't think any, like if, you, if you've if you never experienced this phenomenon before um, and you just wonder why it's like none of my stuff works in the cold, um, warm it up and it'll work again. No, it most definitely will. So, um, so first off, of course, start in your backyard. We talked about that. Then when you're ready to actually go camping, go car camping. Yeah. Right? Because worst case scenario... 
You turn your car on and turn the heater on. Yeah, something happened that was kind of cool. We went to Allegheny over New Year's Eve a couple of years ago, and um, we couldn't even get to the trailhead, the parking lot, because there's so much snow when the snowplow came through mm-hmm. to clear the roads. It was clear to get in it was going to be a challenge. Now, we had a shovel. So, by the way, keep a shovel in your car, right? Because that's quite possible in backcountry, like where there's you're in the mountains and snow conditions, that you could also get uh, plowed in, yeah, in a parking lot. So definitely think about that. Think about having CAA or AAA um, in case you need a, a boost. Because sometimes it gets really cold, your battery might not start. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other things are, you know, when you're when you're planning these trips consider whether or not campfires are allowed if you're going to a new area because there are places like in the adirondacks that there's no fires are permitted yep and then in other areas there are um yeah because that that's sort of one of the things we didn't talk about um one of the biggest joys of winter camping is that killer fire right mm-hmm. so a couple of things i always recommend but mm-hmm. one bring a folding saw with you yes um I actually prefer a folding saw over an axe even because the types of fires we tend to make, we just need logs. Um, We'll make a a Siberian log fire. Yeah. And you don't have to split a lot of stuff, so I don't need to bring an axe. Yeah, and actually even finding uh, wood, and you got to even be careful that it's dead wood. Yeah. Not a live living tree. It's actually very easy to knock over in the winter, surprisingly, I guess it's because the water drains out of the tree and it's dry. Yeah. Basically. Um, and then the ground's frozen, so it's kind of brittle. It is. It, it's very brittle. Um, but again, you can be careful that you don't knock kill over. On yourself. Well, not only that, but you don't knock over a living tree because it's very easy to do that. Mm. Yeah. You feel like you're strong. But anyways, um, so it doesn't take a lot of effort to do that. And there's different kind of fires. We should do a YouTube on this um, that you can set up for that are extremely warm and can last a long time, like a Siberian log fire. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, um, whether or not you can have that killer campfire, you want to make sure you can. Yeah, and you really need to budget gear-wise for extra warmth if you're not allowed to have campfires. But like really, the only place we ever go to that you're not allowed is the Adirondacks. Yeah, right. and we're usually staying in shelters. Yeah. So that helps. Um, But, you know, if you think about like, you know, when we go to Pennsylvania, no issues anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. we go here in Ontario, no issues. Like, really, that's the only place I know of that you're not allowed to have campfires. Yeah. Unless it's like fire season. But I mean, as far as the wintertime goes, mm-hmm. um, I'm, yeah. Like, even if you go to the giant wilderness or you go to the western high peaks in the Adirondacks, you're allowed to have campfires. Right. So, it, yeah. it really just comes down to that one weird anomaly. And I find, too, that you pretty much want to collect, if you're, if it's fairly cold, I would collect a shitload of wood. Mm-hmm. Remember, because we we had a, almost like a wall of branches and and, and logs uh, and and logs, and we went through it all. And you didn't think we would. I remember Brooks and I were like, "Oh, we need more." And I'm glad we did. We even made a little um, uh, a wind wall, uh, like a a retaining wall to block the wind, because we wanted to make sure that the fire, right, w- that we would retain the heat as much as possible. Mm-hmm. In the area that we built up. Yeah. And, and we it, even made a little uh, couch out of the snow. Yeah. That was well, fun. And the thing you went into is that more of what you're getting, you're not really retaining any heat, but you're just cutting down the wind. Yeah. Like it, with anything, if you can block the wind, mm-hmm. it'll feel like 20 degrees warmer. Yeah, it does. 
It's, it it's amazing. Like a lot of times when I'm super cold, because your body's like churning hard to try to make you warm. Yeah. So as soon as you get out of the wind, all of a sudden you just go, wow, it's like warm out now. It's like the sun came out. Yeah. And all it is is just <laughs> now that you're, you're, uh, your body's like on overdrive. Yeah. And the wind's gone. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you're retaining that heat. Yeah. You know, because the, the wind is just a bugger. Right. So now that's the thing when you're choosing your campsite too. And obviously, if you're mm-hmm. if you're trying the car camping thing, it's like wherever your campsite is. Right. But but in the backcountry, uh, when you're when you're looking for a campsite, um, you want something sheltered, you know. So if you can, mm-hmm. uh, like a like a uh, a copse of like coniferous trees, where you can find like an uh, an open area in the middle of them, where you're surrounded, you know, pretty much on all sides. But you know, obviously, it might be a trail or something going into it. Um, that can make a great windbreak, you know. The other thing, uh, as Catherine mentioned, is that you can actually make a snow wall because you got to dig down to put your camp in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that snow you dig out, you can actually build up a, if it's snow that'll allow you to pack, um, build up a, uh, you know, a, a wind blocking wall. Or sometimes you might find that you walk down an embankment and then there's a nice clearing. Yep. So you've got that whole embankment as one area sheltering you from the wind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then one of the things, because it does tend to be windier in the winter, um, and most people uh, don't do this enough, is like look up, look around, um, because if there's any standing dead trees around you um, or uh, branches up in the trees, when the wind picks up overnight, you don't want those falling on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really like pay attention, not just to where, like looking down, but look up, mm-hmm. uh, because there, there can be a lot of, you know, dangers and a lot of times towards the end of the day, you know, as the sun's going down, yeah. it's actually pretty calm and the wind starts to pick up as the evening goes on and you run into that thing. Like in the middle of the night, the wind is picked up. So now all of a sudden you're hearing all this creaking and well, everything's so brittle. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you've got like a standing dead tree that you're in the path of, right, that you didn't pay attention to, it could blow over in the middle of the night. Because we've had plenty of times when we've been out in the winter, you know, we picked a site where we were safe, but you hear cracks and stuff falling in the forest. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be in the path of that. That's right. So make sure you look up, look around. You don't want those broken branches falling on top of you um you know so it makes great firewood yeah i was just going to talk about that fire starter so even though we're in the dead of winter you can still get great fire starter from birch trees like the paper yep birch bark um and then even at the bottom of uh fir trees if you take the well pine is really the one you want yeah so if you get basically the low dead branches of pine trees um, right near the trunk will tend to be saturated with pine sap and pine sap's flammable. So if you cut that branch off in this way, your folding saw comes in handy, um, about six inches out from the tree and then right even with the trunk. Um, and you can usually tell um, first the smell, like it smells like pine saw. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, when you uh, look at the end, like it looks like an amber color. Um, if you flip over and look at the end that you cut that was away from the tree, will usually be like a light tan. 
Um, if you're lucky, sometimes that whole piece is completely saturated, the full length of it. But then if you take that piece and just split it and make feather sticks out of it, uh, you've got this amazing fire starter, mm-hmm. right? You can light it with a match, a lighter, a ferro rod, which is that kind of cool metal match that you strike it and it throws a shower of sparks. Um, so there's a number of different ways you can ignite it, but th- that stuff's great as a tinder source mm-hmm. um, and you can usually find it and then always never go out without a bunch of Backup. Um, tinder sources of your own. So some like wet fire cubes, which are basically wax and kerosene in these little cubes. Um, you can also use the Weber barbecue lighting cubes, uh, keep them in a Ziploc bag, but like cotton makeup removal pads with Vaseline. Um, I make little Vaseline tacos. <laughs> yeah. Um, that way it's not messy. Yeah. But those you just fluff up. It's super easy to ignite. They're easy to those light. Those are my favorite. Um, like you could light those with an, the sparks from an empty Bic lighter. And uh, basically the cotton ignites easy and the Vaseline burns a long time. Um, so uh, with one of those, you'll have like 10 minutes of open flame. Yeah. Um, and if you can't get a fire going with like open flame for 10 minutes... practice more before you go out. (laughs) Totally, totally. So I think it's important to talk about how when you're planning to go out on track to realize that when you're snowshoeing in the winter, you can already consider to cut down your time in half. It takes double amount of time to cover the miles that you're looking to do. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, You're carrying a heavier load. Um, When you're navigating, everything looks different than it does in the summer. Yeah, even if it's a place you've been a ton of times. All the landmarks are gone. Yeah. And so water's frozen over, especially if it's a small little river, right? Creek, whatever that was once there. You may not notice that you're even crossing it. Yeah. And At the, points, and it, looks, it feels like it's just a valley. Well, and sometimes where like a pond was one of your landmarks, it looks like a field now. Yeah. Covered in snow. <laughs> so you need to really be sure that you're good with your GPS system, your, your map, compass system, compass. your map. Um, before you adventure out to go far. We've heard from folks that some of the biggest issues are that people don't even know where they are or how to get out if mm-hmm. they're lost or if they're in trouble. Yeah. So make sure you get those skills dialed in. Yeah, and one of the things too is that uh, because obviously tracks are easy to follow in the wintertime, um, don't just assume, you know, because if you're going out to an area... Don't just assume that the the tracks that you see go off, that person knew where they were going. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I've been uh, culprit or fallen prey to is just that. So we're down in the Adirondacks um, hiking and I followed, because it's in the wintertime, I followed the tracks because it was up one of the herd paths. And what I ran into was because I'm following somebody's rather than figuring my own way, uh, they didn't know where they were going. And we ended up like way the fuck away from the peak we were going after. Was that Mount Seward? No, no. Oh, okay. That no, wasn't with me. No, we made it up Seward just fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, but that trip, that, that, that was a really lo- much longer hike. That's what I was wondering if that's what happened in the end. No, no, no. That day's hike, because we kept thinking it was like, oh, we'll be there in a bit of an hour. Well, that's just because we're um, out of shape and slow. Mm. Uh, Oh, that's another factor in the winter. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know. It was the hardest. That trip up Mount Seward, just 
let's just talk about that for a second. What was the height? Uh, it was about 2,000 feet of elevation gain. Is what we tracked. Yeah. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. It's because you don't do your cardio. No, 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 no. But in comparison to other summer hiking, backpacking Yeah, I know trips, because you're now... It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It's because you're going up 2,000 feet in four feet of snow... Oh, yeah. And at elevations or grades that I'd take a step up, I'd slide down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it, that's why the stair climber needs to be your best friend. Like, is the cardio in the winter is harder than, yeah. than when the snow isn't there. It was hard. Right. It was hard. But like it was the, so much fun yeah. coming down that mountain. Let's talk about that for a second. Because I think people are interested in knowing what does that feel like, at least for me. When I got up to almost near the summit of Mount Seward, and what's the total height of it's that mountain? It's just over 4,000 feet. 4,000 feet. You're above the tree line. You don't feel like you belong there. <laughs> well, with that one, you weren't above the tree. They don't really have a tree line on Seward. Yeah, they did. I was above the tree line. I could see the trees behind me in that photo. And so my biggest fear actually on that trip was falling in a tree well, right? Yeah. Which happens. Um, and sliding off the mountain, actually. Which wasn't going to happen there. No, but it felt like it could have. Like but if you... f- your feelings don't matter. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's just reality. And the mountain doesn't care about my feelings. No. But, but <laughs> the mountain pa- always wins. Yeah, but that, that particular mountain didn't, it's all forested. Yeah, but there were parts that were open, right? Like at the top, that's why I didn't want to continue. Because I was really afraid. I was like, I don't, I don't so belong here. So you didn't, here. didn't combat your fear. No, I didn't. I said, fuck it. I'm done. Yep. I'm good. I'm good. Here's my photo. Yep. We were, we were 50 feet from the summit. It like was a cool. 50 vertical feet. So it would be a little longer lengthwise. Yeah. Um, but Catherine just sort of went, no, I'm done. <laughs> Days over. Well, because you, we reached what seemed like a T intersection where you had to go left or right. So we had to go to the left. Yeah. And there wasn't much of anything there. No, it's just a bit of a scrambly bit. Yeah. So it felt like you could easily like go tumbling down. Into the snow. I guess. Like it wasn't a cliff. Yeah, but get it, considering that I was climbing up, like I was snowshoeing up and I'd sl- slide right back down, that's what it felt like would happen to me. That's why I was just so nervous. Um, and that's where you might, no, I don't think you would on that trip bring an ice axe. Um, it could be useful. Not not for like self-arrest. No, yeah. Um, but More for on ice, yeah. But where it could be useful, because that top little bit was a little icy. Right. Right, because you can put the pick in. That's true. Use it to help you. But it can also, you can use the, the ads end, um, A-D-Z-E, for those, it's almost like a hoe. <laughs> okay. Uh, you'd use it in your garden. Yeah. Um, to cut footsteps. Gotcha. You know, so there's different uses for it. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. It was fun. Like, that was full-on adventure for me. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't belong here. I need to get down. Yeah. <laughs> and the fun bit, like this is the best, is bum sliding down a mountain. Yeah. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, when we, we did the trip and you didn't come up Algonquin with us. We have that on video. Uh, yeah. Um, I specifically took some plastic bags with us, like garbage bags, heavy duty <laughs> ones, and used them like crazy carpets to slide on our ass halfway down the mountain. <laughs> You guys have a great video and they're like telling the other person, get out of the way because you <laughs> have it with spikes at the end of my feet. Yeah, because I had my, my mountaineering crampons on my feet. That's right. And I'm sliding on my ass with my feet facing forward and Nick had stopped in front of me. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's like, do you imagine? Move! <laughs> you know, 
And I sort of came to us. I, I had my trekking poles like under my arm that I could lean back as a brake. Right. And to steer. It was the weirdest little setup, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got down that mountain pretty damn quick. Yeah. Because, you you know, basically like we had sections where we slid for like 500 meters. Oh, wow. You know, and you just sort of like, okay, well, I hope there's not a rock under here anywhere because oh that's going to hurt. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Have you had dicey situations? I'm just talking. Uh, I've fallen through the ice once on a lake. Oh, really? Yeah. That's right. Tell me, tell us about it. Um, my balls <laughs> were up in my neck. Because, uh, you know, I, I ended up just going like my snowshoes, but went through. Yeah. Um, so weird. Too. And I was, but I, uh, I, my backpack and sort of falling forward with my poles. Yeah. Like, so it was only basically from the waist down, I was in the water. Okay. Um, and so it was like, oh, you know, I sort of... What was hold, holding me up? Because you touched the ground? No, no, no. My backpack, like the hole wasn't that big. Gotcha. Like my... Because I didn't have big snowshoes on. Oh, okay. Um, my backpack kind of caught me and I had, you know, I fell forward on my stomach. Nice. Um, okay. And yeah, it was basically just a belly wriggle. Yeah, but you had these ice picks. Um, and this is the thing when anybody's crossing like frozen water first never go out on lakes or not lakes rivers um, particularly anything moderately fast moving because what can happen is the water level underneath the ice drops and so the ice is over air Mm -hmm. right what do you call that is there a name for that Uh, maybe but I don't know what it is okay Um, death Uh, (laughs) Because the reason why you can walk on ice, like on a frozen lake, is that it's floating on the water. Mm -hmm. But when the water's gone, like the water level has dropped, that ice now can just break. Right. right? Because it's not being supported. Right. Right. So um, it really just ponds and and lakes. You don't want fast moving stuff. Um, So when I, and you can get these from like places that sell stuff for ice fishing. Um, they're they go around your wrist kind of like you know idiot strings for for kids mittens (laughs) um and they're handles with a little metal spike on the end because you can picture if you went through the ice your your arms are on and you're trying to paw yourself out well with these you just get them in your hands and use them like mini ice axes to pull yourself out of the water Mm -hmm. right and you're just out, out onto your stomach um so i had those and it was like pull myself out if you didn't have those, do you think it would have been that much difficult? Or no, because I I, I, the, I was the only time I've ever fallen through. I didn't fall all the way through. Right. Like I said, it was only to my waist yeah. because I sort of f- fell forward at the same time. So I was on my stomach. Yeah. So it was just basically from the waist down that was in the water, um, and you know you can always improvise too. Like if you've got trekking poles, yeah. if you were to like, grab lower on your pole. Uh, you can jam the ends in That's and use true. that to pull yourself out. Like these are sort of things you need to think about. If you're if you're with people crossing the ice, spread out, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, like give each other space. It's always a good idea to have like a rope with you mm-hmm. um, because if somebody goes in, you can always toss them a loop, right? And from a safe distance, assist them getting out. Yeah. Um, and then if, if you do go through. Get to shore, get in, get a fire going, mm-hmm. right? Because your pants are going to freeze solid or your clothes are going to freeze solid on you. Mm-hmm. 
right? So uh, keeping moving, collecting wood, get that fire going and get out of those wet, frozen clothes, get dry clothes on, right? And that's why you always want to keep your clothes like that you're not wearing in a dry bag in your backpack. Mm -hmm. So if you did go through the ice, um, you're, you're, uh, you've got something dry to change into. So in the summer, when you cross rivers or beaver dams, yeah, rivers and beaver dams, you always talk about unbuckling your backpack. Yeah. That way in case you do fall, it doesn't, you know, drown you, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got something on you and it's pulling you and getting caught. What about going over ice? I, and people will probably argue, I like to keep it done up mm-hmm. um, because it can be the thing that keeps you from falling through. And that's mm-hmm. just because that was my experience. Right. Um, what is the, um, is there another theory on that? Is it the same thing as going over moving water? Basically, the thing with ice, um, there isn't kind of like this world, uh, you know, like sort of standard, if you want to call it. Um, you know, it's not moving water. Right, because you, you shouldn't never be on ice that is moving water. Um, so you run into the thing where um, if you're keeping closer to the shore, um, where the ice is thicker, uh, you know, generally that's. But avoid kind of the points, you know, um, because that's where you'll tend to. If you get a, a narrowing in a lake, there'll be more current there. Oh, really? Um, than there will be out in the wider areas. Um, you know, so there, there's sort of those. That's interesting because you'd think that, like, I would be more prone to take the narrow area across, thinking that both edges of the narrow area are thicker. You know what I mean? Less yeah, water. but where yeah. there can be more current, so it froze yeah. last. Um, generally, I I only go on ice uh, when I know in the area, like it's at least five inches thick. Yeah. Right. It's like if there's people ice fishing mm-hmm. with snowmobiles out, yeah. I'm probably going to be okay, yeah. right? So even if it's not specifically the backcountry lakes, but if, you know, on your way in, um, and I will always check those kinds of things. If snowmobile trails are open in that area along the lakes or on the lakes, then me with snowshoes is probably going to be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um and if people are out ice fishing, um, then I'm probably going to be okay. And are there news reports where people, you, you can check the ice fishing reports about? Yeah. like it, Well, it just depends where you're going. Yeah. But yeah. And that's the thing that's great about the internet. Otherwise, stop in a local place, mm-hmm. like figure out where the local fishing place is and ask them about ice conditions. Yeah. Um, but that's what we used to have to do in the old days. Now you can check that stuff online. You know, but if you look at ice fishing conditions for X or, you know, is the ice thick enough here for X, (laughs) you know, for ice fishing, generally that's what they are always checking the ice for is ice fishing. Um, But obviously if people can go out, put an ice out up, a bunch of people tromping around on the ice, digging holes or drilling holes, then us sort of skirting around the edges uh, not on the same lakes generally because that's not very backcountry. But um, if it's cold enough for their lake, because in the backcountry, a lot of times we tend to be on smaller ponds and lakes, they tend to freeze first, mm-hmm. right? Like the smaller the bottle, body of water, the sooner it freezes, right? So 
Uh, I think that's part of the reason why, like, you know, in in all my time, I've only ever gone through the ice once because I'm kind of, if I'm ever in doubt, I won't go on it. Mm-hmm. You know, this was just one weird yeah, yeah. kind of thing. It was a little late in the season. So, yeah. So hopefully you guys found some tidbits of information. Um, uh, right now, we've got some articles, uh, part of our, our winter camping series. We do, uh, yeah. Yeah, so definitely uh, check them out online in uh, our adventure blog. And you'll also livewildradio.com. Yeah, and you'll also find some other articles on trip planning and navigation that you can, you know, get some Stuff additional skills off of as well. We're a big fan of the Adirondacks. Um, we're going to link to in our show notes to uh, a forest ranger out there called named Scott Van Leer. He's got some great tips. Um, wherever you go, search for the search and rescue reports. They'll tell you about the common mishaps happening. Yeah. You can learn from that, right? You really can. Like in this, maybe you know, I don't know what it says about my personality, but one of my uh, <laughs> enjoyments is reading but search and rescue incidents. Mm. Right. It's like sort of what happened, uh, particularly the after action reports and how it could be avoided. Right. You know, so when it, somebody slipped and fell and hurt themselves. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, it can happen to any of us. Right. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that could be avoided. Uh, you know, never go anywhere without a headlamp. Oh. Um, you know, know where you're going, have proper maps, have your, your technology. Like I'm working on a, another article I'm working on is sort of some basics of survival with the idea of like the 10 essentials mm-hmm. that you always carry with you. That's right. Even if it's just a day hike Yeah. and understanding how to use them and working with them. And, um, because the outdoors are one of these things. It's, it's an amazing playground, but it's unforgiving, right? And winter more so, mm-hmm. right? So, um, if you always think of it from the idea that it's nice that you can call for help, but if you plan for the idea that you never can, you'll have that extra level of preparedness. Oh, sure. You know, so. Yeah, I, I always think if you're going to go out there once you've done it in your backyard and car camping, uh, I highly recommend base camping. Yeah, um, just go in like a few kilometers. Yeah, go a few kilometers, go do some hikes. But um, I always like, I actually feel more secure with everything on my back, in all honesty. Yeah, because... I've got everything. Yeah, if anything right? goes wrong, you just make camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's why having that article, you're talking about the 10 essentials in case yeah. things don't go right. Yeah, and whether, whether you're like taking a, a day hike from your base camp or you're just going on a day hike, you know, out yeah. hiking. Um, they should always be with you. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a lot of fun. I hope we didn't scare you. Yeah, it, <laughs> because it, it, really, it's it is beautiful, and uh, we do recommend you try it. You'll see. Generally, you see people in the, out there on the trails. You'll fall in love with it. Yeah, and it, we it, we didn't even talk about things like hot tenting and. Oh no, that's a whole other yeah. episode for sure. And there's people that do that um, all the time and talk about it as well. We can always plug mm. them or do an episode with them down the road. Yeah. But uh, there's many ways to enjoy the winter. Get out there. Um, it's just an extension of your summer hiking and in camping. A, in a very cold, cold, white way. <laughs> so until next time. I'm Catherine. I'm Winston. Work hard. Play dirty. <laughs>